This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, U.S. prosecutors unseal the indictment against FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Find out what charges he's facing in a case the company's new CEO calls plain old embezzlement. TikTok has been getting a lot of negative attention in the news lately. Fears of inappropriate content for children and worries about data security are widespread. Three lawmakers propose a solution. Twitter restored the account of Dr. Robert Malone this week. We'll be talking to the doctor about his suspension. A fire in an NYPD warehouse that holds DNA evidence, among other items. Firefighters have struggled to extinguish the blaze, which has caused multiple injuries. And we speak to actor Jimmy Hawkins to hear about his take on the movie It's a Wonderful Life and how it changed his life. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. It's Wednesday today, December 14th. Here are the latest updates on FTX founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. U.S. prosecutors unsealed the indictment against him yesterday. Charges include wire fraud, conspiracy, and violating campaign finance laws. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more about the ongoing investigation. This is one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. The U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, revealed the contents of the indictment against Bankman Freed on Tuesday. Eight criminal counts including wire fraud, conspiracy, and campaign finance violations. He accused Bankman Freed and co-conspirators of stealing billions of dollars from customers and using that money for personal benefit and investments, as well as to cover expenses and debts of FDX's investment arm Alameda Research. He says Bankman Freed lied to Alameda lenders about the source of the money used to pay those debts and deceived FDX investors by sending billions of dollars in FDX customer money to Alameda. We charge that Bankman Freed violated federal campaign finance laws by causing tens of millions of dollars in illegal campaign contributions to be made to candidates and committees. Williams says the contributions were disguised to look like they were coming from wealthy co-conspirators when in fact they were funded by Alameda Research with stolen customer money. Bankman Freed was the second largest individual donor to the Democratic Party in this year's election cycle after George Soros. He provided Democrats with around $40 million. Prosecutors allege that Bankman Freed made donations to campaigns under other people's names. That allowed him to illegally donate far above the $25,000 set by U.S. campaign finance laws. Williams encouraged anyone who participated in wrongdoing at FTX or Alameda Research to come forward. To any person, entity, or political campaign that has received stolen customer money, we ask that you work with us to return that money to the innocent victims. Come see us before we come see you. Bankman Freed contributed at least $5 million to President Biden's 2020 campaign. This case is about fraud. Fraud is fraud. It does not matter the complexity of the investment scheme. It does not matter the amount of money involved. If you mislead and deceive to take what does not belong to you, we will hold you accountable. Before his arrest, Bankman Freed was scheduled to testify before U.S. lawmakers on the House Financial Services Committee. The hearing went ahead anyway, with FTX's new CEO, John Ray, as the main witness. Ray is a longtime corporate restructuring expert with 40 years of experience. 
He says the situation at FTX was worse than what he found at Enron two decades ago. Enron was one of the biggest corporate frauds in U.S. history. The FTX group's collapse appears to stem from absolute concentration of control in the hands of a small group of grossly inexperienced, unsophisticated individuals who failed to implement virtually any of the systems or controls that are necessary for a company entrusted with other people's money or assets. Ray was tapped to lead the defunct exchange last month and oversee the bankruptcy. He told members of Congress that FTX lost $8 billion of client money. This is really old-fashioned embezzlement. Bankman Freed appeared at the Bahamas Magistrates Court in Nassau on Tuesday. He told the court he would fight extradition to the United States. The judge denied his request for bail and sent him to a local correctional facility instead, citing a great risk of flight. Bankman Freed faces a maximum sentence of 115 years in prison if convicted on all eight counts. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Now, several lawmakers have publicly said they'll return donations from Bankman-Fried or redirect them to charities. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre declined to answer, though, if President Biden will return any donations when asked yesterday. She asserted that she's covered by the Hatch Act and referred anyone with questions about political contributions to the DNC. Three federal lawmakers have proposed legislation to ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. This ratchets up pressure on Chinese owner ByteDance. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more. Senator Marco Rubio introduced a bill in the Senate this week that would ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. Two congressmen have also introduced companion legislation before the House. Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher and Democrat Raja Krishnamurthy. The fear is that the app could be used to spy on or censure Americans. The lawmakers are concerned about the short-form video app's parent company, ByteDance, and its affiliation with the Chinese regime. Doubts that the company can adequately safeguard Americans' data from the Chinese government have spread among American government officials. Senator Josh Hawley questioned TikTok executive Vanessa Papas at a hearing on CCP members having access to U.S. data. Wait, wait, wait. So your testimony is that you do have TikTok employees based in China who do have access to U.S. user data, but you're confident that none of them are members of the Chinese Communist Party and have ever accessed it? Anyone who has access to U.S. user data has and does so to perform daily duties. Meanwhile, Utah's governor is banning TikTok from state-owned electronic devices, citing national security concerns. Governor Spencer Cox signed an executive order for the ban on Monday. State agencies and agency employees are no longer permitted to download the app or view TikTok online. Other social media platforms are still allowed. And Utah isn't alone in this. Governors in South Dakota, Maryland, and Texas have passed similar bans. Senator Tom Cotton says TikTok is subject to Chinese laws. He called it one of the most massive surveillance programs ever, especially on America's young people. Here's the senator speaking on Fox News. That it's not just the content you upload to TikTok, but all the data on your phone and other apps, all your personal information, even facial imagery, even where your eyes are looking on your phone. For those who have TikTok installed, Cotton recommends immediately deleting the app and better yet, getting a new phone entirely. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And talking about social media, Twitter restored more accounts this week. The most recent ones include that of mRNA vaccine researcher Dr. Robert Malone. He was banned after sharing his concerns about the Pfizer vaccine 
And that's who we'd like to bring in right now. He is a founder of the Malone Institute, which strives to bring back integrity to the biological science and medicine. He also holds a number of patents, including several used in COVID-19 vaccines. Good morning, Dr. Malone. Good seeing, out, uh, seeing you out of uh, Twitter jail. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was amazing. Within 12 hours, uh, we went from about 480,000 followers to now we're over 713,000. Hmm. Wow. So what's happening now? Is your account fully reinstated without any restrictions? Yes, uh, we didn't request this. We didn't fill out any forms or anything. It was just suddenly turned on at about 10 o'clock at night. And there's been no commentary, no uh, explanation, no communication from Twitter. They just turned on the account. I want to give a shout out to Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who was brought in last Sunday by Elon Musk. And of course, thank Elon Musk for allowing me out of jail. But uh, I think Jay was brought in, remember he was one of the great Barrington Declaration authors, uh, to speak to whether the uh, whether I and others had spread misinformation, what the truth is right now about the COVID vaccines and the COVID crisis and how it's been mismanaged. Hmm. And uh, I want to get to that a little bit later too, but what have you been learning first from the Twitter files that have been out, especially about how your account has been treated beforehand? So I haven't seen anything about my account specifically, but frankly, I've been in Dallas filming with another uh, broadcast station yesterday and this move is all move this information is moving so fast uh, the clear that clearly the Twitter files demonstrate a corruption of a organization in a number of surreptitious ways and it was fascinating that that continues that mr. James Baker who's basically a political political operative Democratic lawyer was still vetting those Twitter files without the knowledge of Elon Musk behind the scenes. He's now been fired. And so we may get even more transparency about what has actually taken place. But it's it's clear that there has been a psychological operations campaign waged against the American people to uh, control what they think, what they feel, um, the information they're able to get access to. Mm, and I think you partially in, uh, answered my next question here, but if you can go into a little bit more detail, how do you think that has affected overall freedom of information? Clearly, uh, freedom of information has been under assault all the way through this COVID crisis. And it's not just in the United States, as you know. The West has imported the China model. They have imported the belief that it's acceptable to con compel and constrain uh, speech and information and to restrict any messaging that is contrary to the messaging that the governments wish to push forward, which has resulted in this case in literally forcing uninformed consent on patients and in all of us really regarding the vaccines, uh, Paxlovid, the other interventions, Remdesivir, all of this has been uh, filtered and uh, propagandized by the U.S. government and by the European Union uh, to compel people to take products that are unlicensed, unsafe, and not effective. Hmm. And what, because you did say a lot of uh, a lot of these things also on Tucker Car Carlson, for instance, and that you also told him that FDA was quite upset about some of the things that you said on TV. Social media censors you. Um, 
And many say that's misinformation. And you were, I mean, you say un, they, they're pushing un, um, uninformed consent. Um, why do you think that all is the case? Why do you think that is being done? Ah, that's the big question. Um, because, and this is the nature of the book, is trying to understand what we've all been subjected to. Uh, what is the agenda? Because it does not appear to be public health. For instance, according to the New York Times in February, uh, the CDC has been withholding information from physicians and medical care providers uh, and public health officials all the way through this COVID crisis, and they have become functionally a political arm of the White House. Why is that happening? Why is there such a concerted effort to force people to take products that they don't need, and particularly our children? When the data are increasingly clear, really quite quite clear right now, that these products are not needed, there is no COVID crisis. We don't have people dying on the streets. We never had people dying on the streets. That was Chinese propaganda back in early 2020. And why have we had all of these measures forced on us by the federal government through the mandates, through the propaganda, through the... Uh, um, incentives for children to take these products. I heard that there's a county in California with mostly poor indigent children that is offering $1,000 worth of toys to sit on Santa's lap if they will only take the vaccine. Wow. Well, maybe one day we'll get to the bottom of this. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Robert Malone. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And uh, keep growing, NTD News. Thank you. 20 House Republicans are calling for the removal of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They say they expect the House Judiciary Committee to open an impeachment inquiry when the new Congress convenes in January. Here are Representatives Andy Biggs and Brian Babin. Secretary Mayorkas is failing to detain illegal aliens as required by law. Instead, he is simply releasing illegal aliens into the country. The law is clear, illegal aliens shall be detained. But Secretary Mayorkas has released more than one million illegal aliens into the country. 300 Americans each day are dying of deadly Chinese Mexican drug cartel produced fentanyl coming in over our southern border. If it's not already abundantly clear, Alejandro Mayorkas has forsaken his sworn oath to protect the homeland. I don't know when it's going to be any more clear. The group of Republican lawmakers says Mayorkas has committed high crimes and misdemeanors justifying his impeachment. Congressman Biggs suggested Mayorkas lied when testifying to Congress by claiming the border was under control. It will take a majority vote in the House on a resolution to make the case and a vote of two-thirds in the Senate to convict and remove him. That outcome is unlikely with the upper chamber controlled by Democrats. And coming up after the break, a fire tears through an NYPD evidence warehouse causing multiple injuries. It could take days to put out. And the U.S. may be sending more air defense systems to Ukraine. It follows pressure from Ukraine on the West for further aid to counter Russian air attacks. Stay tuned for more after the break.
Good to have you back. A fire destroyed an NYPD evidence warehouse yesterday. In it was DNA evidence from crime scenes as well as cars, e-bikes and motor scooters. Eight people suffered minor injuries. The fire at the Erie Basin Auto Pound broke out at around 10.30 a.m. The warehouse is at the Brooklyn waterfront. The volume of fire quickly overwhelmed firefighters who had gone inside to battle the blaze and then had to retreat and fight it from the outside. The effort included drones as well as boats spraying water into the warehouse from the harbor. Officials say the fire may take days to bring under control. We attempted an interior uh, fire attack but we, the members were overwhelmed by the amount of fire and we had to back all of our firefighters out of the building and go to an exterior attack. We have three marine uh, fire boats here uh, that are putting a, lo a lot of water onto this fire. The warehouse contains biological evidence for unsolved cases from as many as 30 years ago. That includes DNA from still unsolved robberies and perhaps murders. The patrol car of Officer Ed Byrne is stored there. He was ambushed and murdered while on duty in 1988. And it also holds the NYPD mobile unit where Detective Mia Satis Familia was shot and killed on the job in 2017. And the U.S. may be sending a battery of Patriot missiles to Ukraine. It comes after Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky recently put pressure on Western leaders to provide more advanced weapons to counter Russian air attacks. We will look at a full spectrum of security assistance uh, and defensive capabilities that are available within our common inventories uh, when we consider Ukraine's needs. We continue to consult and advise our Ukrainian partners on how best to integrate their air defense systems. According to officials who spoke on condition of anonymity, the announcement will likely follow later this week. The plan has not yet been publicly announced because the decision has not been finalized. If approved, the Patriot would be the most advanced surface-to-air missile system yet provided to Ukraine by the West. And in lighter news, Argentina moves to the grand final of the FIFA World Cup after defeating Croatia in the semis. The game finished 3-0 in Argentina's favor. Here's NTD's Flinders Kingsley with the story. Going into the match, Argentina had never lost in a World Cup semi-final. This game was no exception. And after their loss in the 2014 grand final, Argentinian fans are hoping for redemption. In fairness, we have been waiting for a long time for this to happen again. We mourned the finals we lost for years, but here we are again, a new final. I'm happy and excited. Croatia will not get the opportunity to redeem their 2018 grand final loss. The best they can now hope for is a win in the third place match. However, their loss hasn't affected fans' love for their team and country. The third. We will win the third place in the next match. I will tell you, be it the first, the second, the third or the sixteenth, Croatia is always the first. My homeland. Argentinian captain Lionel Messi scored one penalty goal, but it was 22-year-old Julian Alvarez who was the standout. Scoring a goal in each half, Alvarez also earned the South American side the penalty goal that his captain ultimately secured. But there is no doubt fans love their captain. The truth is that Messi is more of a captain than ever. He's more Maradoniano like Armando Maradona. Although you can't compare them, each one is a player and a person. Despite Croatia's loss, fans are still positive about the team's leadership. 
Zlatko Dalic is a phenomenal coach. Uh, I think there's not too many of those guys. He's a gentleman. He's a professional. And I can't say enough good things about the man. He is uh, one of a kind, I would say. Argentina will face off against the winner of Thursday's game between seven-time semi-final winners and reigning World Cup champions France and Morocco, the first Arab team to ever make the World Cup semi-finals. The grand final will be held on Sunday the 18th of December. Flinders Kingsley, NTD News. Up next, we speak to one of the stars of It's a Wonderful Life to hear from him what makes this movie so special and why it flopped in the beginning. What would Christmas be without spending cozy nights rewatching some of the classic movies like It's a Wonderful Life? But apparently, when this particular movie first came out, it flopped. I spoke to Jimmy Hawkins, who plays one of the Bailey kids in the movie. He told me that what makes this movie, what ma what is making this movie so special, and why it was only decades later that it found success. Joining me now is Jimmy Hawkins to speak about the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's so great to have you, Jimmy. Hey, nice being on your show. Thanks for having me. That time of, of year. <laughs> right. Uh, and so first, for the people that haven't watched it, please give us your take on what makes this movie so special. Well, I think the, the message of the movie is each man's life touches so many other lives. If they weren't around, it would leave an awful hole. And when the movie first came out in 1946, it lost $500,000 and was considered a flop. Uh, I was with uh, Sheldon Leonard, who played Nick the bartender in the movie. And then he became a big producer, director, writer in the business, Dick Van Dyke, a lot of big shows. So we were doing a 50th anniversary in Donna Reed's hometown for It's a Wonderful Life. And he couldn't make it, so he said, why don't you come on up to the house and we'll tape something and you can take it back with you. So oh, that's great. So they were setting everything up. And I said, isn't that something? This movie is, it didn't make it the first round. It just flopped. And it, it took falling into public domain to make it what, what it's becoming. He said, I'll tell you one thing, Jimmy. The movie never changed. The people changed. And that's why the film is so important now. People see through George Bailey. You know, George Bailey didn't think he did anything. He was just doing the right thing for people. Then all of a sudden, he gets the chance to see what life would have been like if he had never been born. And he saw how important one man can be. And that's the message. That's what people see in it. They see, I am important. More people want that message, and it's feel good. And they watch that movie, and and they're touched and moved, and they're old anxiety at the end. And they, they just love it. They come to us all the time and tell us their wonderful life stories, how they wanted to commit suicide, but after seeing the film, knew that they were important in the big picture. They did make a, a difference. If they were taken out of the equation, Earth would shape they know that mm. and that's beautiful and you showed it in correctional facilities why did you what was the goal in doing that and what kind of reactions did you get well the reason i wanted to go to attica prison 
to show it to the inmates. Uh, um, 1946, uh, a major prison in California got a copy of the film and showed it to the inmates. And the warden asked them if they want to write a message to Frank Capra telling them what did that movie mean to them. And so they did, and he had for over a year 300 letters in his office, and he didn't know what to do with them. So he got in touch with Frank Capra, and his office said, send them. So he sent them, and I've read uh, quite a few of them, and they were moved by the movie. So I said, I wonder if correctional facilities today, if inmates feel the same. And we listened to all the inmates uh, moving stories about how the movie touched them. I said, I want to ask you questions, but I want to ask the first question. Did you see anywhere in this movie that George Bailey got a second chance? Just like you're getting a second chance here. And his arms started come hands of moving. Oh, yeah, I do. And they had all these wonderful stories written out to tell how moved they were. And then uh, we were there for about two hours, and this superintendent of all the prisons turned to me and said, I've never seen anything like this. This is incredible. We're kind of, we go every place that we can go to that people need that message. And it's, to say it's changed my life, yes, it has, by listening to all these stories and knowing that the people are moved and they really get the message and try to be, you know, better people through the whole year. Everybody gets real nice and cozy around Christmas time, but about uh, February it's back to normal, you know. But we we deliver the message. That's That's what Carolyn and I do. Right. And we thank you for that. And I it really was a pleasure today. Thank you so much, Jimmy Hawkins. Well, thank you for having me. I hope... Uh, uh, you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Best you to too, you. You too, you too. Thank you very so much. much. And he told me that now there is only really Carolyn Grimes and himself left to talk about the film and that now they really go everywhere they can to spread that message. That message, you know, I think it is really great that they did that outreach to help the people in the prisons. Yeah, it's a movie with, with a deep message. Yeah. It's amazing. All right, so that's it for today. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.